0: Welcome to those of you. It's great to see each one of you here, and it's great to be back. It's been two years since uh, been back in the home church and being able to see the what God is doing here, and it's exciting. I l- lay in my bed last night or on the couch, um, and uh, the jet lag is real. I, I did not want to go to sleep. I was trying to go to sleep. But excited about uh, being busy today. I'm very busy doing Sunday school, and uh, they actually brought me here to do. Children's Church. Uh, so that's why I'm here. They brought me all the way from Japan because uh, it's super Sunday. That's why I'm dressed up. I don't normally wear my uniform just because I'm back, but I'm, I wore it for them, so uh, you can thank them. But it's exciting to be able, again, to be here and just uh, share what God has been laying on my heart. So a message that has been resonating for the last few months uh, back at Misawa, Japan, which is... Uh, where I'm stationed at is this series in the book of Judges, which I'm familiar, you guys have just done the book of Judges only a couple months ago. And it is an awesome book. And the what you see back on your screen is the series that we titled Living Without the King and what that leads to, living without the King leads to a life of destruction. And that's what the, the skull over the, the crown is that you could see Living Without the King was a series in the book of Judges, and it based on the key verse, in those days, it comes from chapter 17, verse 6, in those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did what was that which was right in his own eyes. That's the time of the Judges, that they did what was right in their own eyes, and it's like a broken record, chapter after chapter, all these broken deliverers come and save the day, but Israel returns back again and again and again to the same thing. They need to be reminded. So when, I, when Pastor Luke asked me to, to speak, I was like, you guys just did judge not too long ago, but it, this is the beauty of judges. It's to remind you again of where we keep going back to. It's the same cycle. We, God may deliver us in an area of our life, but then we return. We return and do the same thing over again and start serving other kings. So my question that I want us to focus on this morning is who is your king? Who is your you're king because we have all kinds of different things that can be king in our life. All kinds of different things, people, pursuits can become king. Just a few, last month I finally had the privilege, after 17 years, I've been in the Air Force for 17 years and have never got a chance. Some of you young people in here are like, wow, that's a long time. It <laughs> felt like it's, it's only been yesterday. But 17 years I've been waiting to get in and F-16. Into the back of F-16, and you can see on your slide this beautiful aircraft that is at Misawa. So we have two fighter squadrons, the samurai and the Panthers, the two F-16 fighter squadrons. It's a combat wing. We are there right next to if you look geographically where Misawa's at, way north of Japan, we are holding back communism. Right. We are neighbors to North Korea, and China is right there along with Russia. So we are, we are holding it back to keep you guys safe here. But that is the machine of freedom, the, the tool of freedom that we get to utilize. And finally, after 17 years, I got to fly in the back seat of one of those. And you can see the next slide. And it was an incredible time. But to get this fan flight, I had to do quite a bit of training beforehand. They don't just let you get in the back of the next 16 even though you're just taking a ride uh, with a pilot, there's my, uh, there's the guy that flew me, his, his uh, call sign's triple, the, the commander, and that's me in the back seat, and I did a ton of training, and it was, it was exciting to be able to, because you've got to get a flight physical, and they, they, I know you've seen in the movies, you getting military flight physicals, I mean, they were measuring everything, making sure my legs weren't too long, just barely, I was just barely fit, and making sure that your blood pressure's not too high, making sure, all these things, and then you get... Uh, assess for all this equipment. You get to put on what they call this G-suit. This G-suit goes, it covers your legs, it goes all the way up to about the, the bottom of your rib cage, and what that does is it's connected to the aircraft, and so as the G's go, if you've ever been on a roller coaster, right, when it turns or when you go upside down, that feeling of, of you hitting the, like your whole, all your blood wants to flow to the bottom, of, of your feet. That's G's, the positive G-forces. And so what that suit does is it, it inflates. It inflates to keep the blood from rushing to your feet, because as the blood rushes to your feet and you're pulling G's and trying to fly an aircraft, you're going to pass out. And so as you're getting fitted for all this equipment, it was so much fun, and and plugging in and checking the suit, and finally I realized what God gave me these big legs for, is so I can handle all these G-forces, because I did really good with it. But this whole experience, these la- a couple days of the the flight was an hour and a half but I spent two full days of training of this is how not to die in case of emergency and the more we got into that the more I realized like what am I do- am I doing should I be doing this and of course Rachel's like she's mad already that I'm that I'm doing this she's upset I'm like I'm not gonna tell her about this training so I don't she's this isn't being recorded so she's not watching this. but as I was going through going through emergency procedures I mean they were teaching me how to fish I'm like why am I learning how to fish if I get like the massage right there on the ocean? We're flying over water if you had to eject and you're being on a life raft. And, and I, like, I've they're going to rescue me before I need to start fishing. <laughs> and so. I go through all this training, and, and I get with Triple and the day, and, and he just, again, he's going through more safety procedures. More safety procedures. Okay, if we have to bail out, if this thing happens, I'm going to say bail out three times, and on the second one, I want you to pull the handle so you shoot out of the aircraft before I do. Because these, these aircraft, these high-powered aircraft, have these ejection seats that will get you out of the aircraft, right, in case of emergency. And so and we're, we're talking, and I'm just thinking all oh, this. And then he's like, if my comms go out, and I can't talk to you. I'm going to take this iPad, and I'm going to throw it back at you if we have to eject. I'm like, all these things I got to remember, all this training. But that, but one thing I was, could not deny during those few days and, and got to get up there and fly the jet, it was an incredible. We did some air-to-air combat, and, and I, was, well, I was trying not to throw up most of the time. But the thing that became king in my life during that time, and the king to the to the squadron that was around me was my safety. That was number one. Safety became king. They wanted to make sure that I got to enjoy the flight, but most importantly, that they brought me back safely so I can do my job of telling people that if they don't turn, they're going to burn. So I really don't want to lose that. But whoever is king in our lives, whether it be the the F-16 for a time... Whoever is king in our lives determines our actions, our attitudes, and ultimately our lives. And that I want to spend our, our next few moments talking about. Your king determines your victory or defeat. Your king determines your victory or defeat. There's not as much humidity here, so I've got to stay hydrated. And I'm used to, so I was a little bit humid, so you just open your mouth and drink a water, uh, have a glass of water. So, So the question I have and that we face every day. Who is your king? I will say for most Americans right now, culture is king. Culture is king. Culture is the one that is telling us what is right or wrong. Culture is the thing that is shifting the way we think. Culture is the one that is pushing its agenda forward. And if it is king, then we're going to be in trouble. Because Culture is going to be based on the majority. Culture is going to be a losing battle because the standard is always changing. Culture can be king. Money can be king. The pursuit of money. All these things can can be king in our lives. Maybe it is career. Maybe it's your career. Everything, your life operates out of the fact that career is king and that is how I'm going to make my decisions. Maybe for you it's, your body image is king. Everything, the fitness, and now in the Air Force, we're forced. I'm forced to keep these muffin tops really um, thin because it's part of my job if I don't, I don't say somewhat fit. They'll kick me out because I've got to be ready for war. I mean, something. I guess that's what we do in the military. But body image can become king where that is our focus, our decisions, everything that we do. Vacation and pleasure can be king. We can live for the vacation. We can live for that experience, and everything can be driven by that. Your family can be king. Your family can be king. Now, when we look at the throne and maybe the royal court of our lives, family should be pretty a pretty close second. I, I will say that, but family can become number one where everything, every decision in our lives is surrounded by family. It's made by family, taking kids from maybe this soccer game to that soccer game to I mean it's just our whole focus can be surrounded by family education can be king the pursuit of education what education is a good thing and it and it opens up doors but it can be king in our lives to where everything that we do is surrounded by that sports can be king I picked the worst time to come back to this territory See, being a Dodger fan is a lot easier when you're in Japan, but being a Dodger fan in, in this area, it's just like, really? I'm just going to, I thought that maybe sports wasn't king of my life, and I come back here and I realize, man, what in the world? What is wrong with these people? All these Giants fans that have been gone for eight years all of a sudden show up, and their family, and they're in your face, so whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it, but sports can be king. But... Religion can be king. Serving in the church can become king. All these different things in our life, but the, the biggest one that becomes king is me. The biggest thing that becomes king in our lives is, is us. And we just love that seat. We love sitting in it. We know how to sit in it. We like how it, how it feels. We, like, we, we get adjusted here, and we sit here, and we just, man, I really like being king of my life. I really like sitting down and enjoying that seat. I'm in control when I am king. But the thing is, with all of these kings lead to destruction, they promise prosperity, they promise success, they promise that they will deliver the things that we are seeking. But each time it is the opposite. It has the pleasure for a time, but we become slaves to that. We become slaves to each of these dictators and it puts us in bondage. So who is your king? Whoever is king in your life determines our actions, our attitudes, and ultimately our lives. Your king determines your victory or defeat. We turn to the Old Testament and, and we pick up the story in the book of Judges. We're going to pick up in chapter 10 as Israel continues what I call serving and swerving. Serving and swerving. They serve for a time and they turn back to swerving. We're going to be pick up In chapter 10 verse 6 it'll be up on your screen and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Sidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not him it really gets bad in Israel they keep getting further and further into sin as we go through as you went through recently the book of Judges each of these broken saviors, these broken deliverers, they start out pretty good. You start out with, uh, with Deborah, you start off with Othniel, and then it kind of gets worse and worse. You go to Gideon, he, begin, he does pretty good, but he gets pretty worse. Then you get to some other people, like at the end of the story, you get to Samson. And these deliverers, they, they do these awesome things, but their, their moral character gets worse and worse. And today we're going to look at just one of those, Jephthah. Jephthah is one of those that that comes in to save the day. And part of Israel's problems they keep going back to the same thing. They're doing what everybody else around them is doing. They keep serving the other gods. They keep getting delivered and then they go back and they put themselves back into bondage, back into slavery because of what they're doing, because of their sin. And it's funny, and this is how Warren Wiersbe compares these two. He compares this, this, this fall of, of Israel, and he says, The Lord had given Israel victory over seven different nations. But now Israel was worshiping seven different varieties of pagan gods. No wonder God's anger was hot against Israel. What foolishness to worship the gods of your defeated enemies. How foolish it is to worship the gods of your defeated enemies. And that is what we do. We return back to the things that God has given us victory of, when we don't put him as king. And we continue, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines. And I'm going to stop right there. You're like, what? The God of the Old Testament? He's such a scary God. And, and, and oftentimes, Christians today think that the God of the New Testament is different, and he's not. But if you read, you, you begin to read the word of God, and he sold them. It he was mad and he sold them. He caused this to happen. This loving, merciful God, this, this God that just you know, wants to love me. What? He sold them. Yes, he sold them into slavery. He gave them over to their hand because he ultimately uh, loves us. But sometimes that, God, that we have to get to a point uh, where we we're disciplined and brought back. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines, into the hands of the children of Ammon. in the year... That year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel 18 years, all the children of Israel that were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is Gilead. Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. So that Israel was sore, distressed. They were distressed. They had served other gods and it had led them to defeat, Because remember, your king determines your victory or defeat. Your king determines your victory or defeat. And they had served these other gods, and God gave them over to them. Verse 10, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. After 18 years, 18 years, they finally say, Okay, we're sorry, God we we've done bad. I hope I, I know most of us are hard-headed in here. That's just how we are. We're we're Americans. We're we're rebels and when you visit other parts of the world you realize that most of us, most everyone else especially in Japan are rule followers but we're just Ameri- it's part of who we are. We're we're hard-headed. But I don't think it would take me 18 years to be in slavery to realize, wow, okay, I'm at my lowest point. I need we need to turn back to God, guys. I think I think we've had enough of this. It's time to turn back, but 18 years. And it's not just, here they begin to shift the language, it's time, they, they're ready for deliverance because it begins with repentance. Verse 11, and the Lord said to the children of Israel, did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also, and the Amalekites and the Manites? did oppress you, and ye cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. God is saying, you don't believe in me. You don't believe in my word. You don't believe in my promises. Why should I help you? Why should I help you? But he doesn't stop there. (laughs) Listen to what he says. He says, go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Go cry to them and let them deliver you in your time of tribulation. You've been worshiping them, serving them. Go cry to them. Stop crying to me. Did God really say that? Does God talk like that? Does God get upset? Yes, he does. Read the, read the whole of scripture. He gets upset. Verse 15, And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, we have sinned. Here's that repentance. God, we're sorry. Do thou unto us whatsoever seem, seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. And they put away. There's that repentance piece. They put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul was greed for the misery of Israel. So God finally gets to the point where he, when the people, their response is in humility, they put away other gods, they're, they're, they're turning away from God. So they're like, God, we're sorry. Do that's what you wish. And then he begins to be grieved. I mean, I'm sure he's grieved and upset the whole time, but, but getting them to a point where they're, they're ready for deliverance. They're ready for deliverance. They're ready for their new king. They're putting the words into action. Their words into action. So now here's God's plan for deliverance. We go into the next chapter in verse 1. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. Jephthah comes onto the scene. He's this illegitimate child, and he's an outcast. He's the, his brothers outcast him. He's, they, they, did, they don't even like him. They don't want nothing to do with him, but all of a sudden their backs against the wall, they've heard of him as this—if you think of a clan warrior, he's this mighty warrior, this man of valor—and they were they were fighting against the people around him, so they needed a warrior, and he's the one that goes and fights. But he says, "Guys, you've you've hated me your whole life. You haven't even looked at. You walk the other way when I come around. You don't even like me. If I'm going to come and save the day." If, I, if, I, if God is going to use me, I, I'm going to be the leader. Like, this is, this is the deal. So he makes a deal. I, you, I, if God gives us the victory, like I'm, I, you can't ignore me anymore. So there's this thing that goes back and forth, and, and we're going to trust God, and God is going to give us the victory. Because your king determines your victory or defeat, and he's trying to explain to them, despite where my background is, I, we're going to lead and go forward. In verse, we're going to jump to verse 29. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands. So he's passing over, he, he gets one victory, but then it gets, he gets in a hard place. He gets in a hard place and he turns and asks God, I'm going to vow a vow unto the Lord. I don't know if you've had family members or friends who, who make deals with God. They vow, God, if you get me out of this situation, I'm going to serve you with every breath that I have for the rest of my life. And a month goes by and they serve the Lord and then they're back to the same thing. They make, they make these deals with God and, and sometimes we, we see other people make deals with God we see, I mean, this has got to work. I, I have something to offer God. We, we think ourselves more highly than, than we actually are. And he vows a vow to God saying, God, if, if you do this, what is this, this thing that, that he's going to make? In verse 31, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And then you begin to think, okay, This is an interesting vow. I'm going to offer something up to you, whether it be for service. He was going to offer the life of the person who came out of his house. Now, it's one thing to fully devote yourself to the Lord. Yourself. It's your own life. I'm going to fully devote to you. But it's interesting here that he's going to offer somebody else up because the only thing that could come out of your house is people. I mean, maybe maybe he thought maybe the dog would come out to meet him. He was going to commit that to the Lord. So you're trying. What are you thinking, Jephthah? What what is going through your head? Are you allowing the culture around you to kind of make this this thing? Maybe he looked back at Abraham and saw that these these other great heroes of the faith that that have led them up to this point, and maybe he's thinking, "Oh, I can make this vow and and turn back." And what is he thinking? In verse thirty four. And Jephthah came to miss, but after this great victory, and behold, so God gave him the victory, and he came back. His daughter came to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter, and it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. I cannot go back. God is very serious about vows. He's very serious about our words and how important it is to have integrity and and all these things, but God never asked for this. God didn't ask him that you need to make a deal with me. Again, because we think that we we can work our way into God. We think what we have to offer is what God really wants. And, and this is the exchange, like, I give you. And it's this mentality that we have that's built by the culture around us. And I will tell you, as a Spurgeon, it is hard to fight when something someone else does something for me. I want to do something for them. It, it is this thing, This, but it, it is not how the gospel works. It not, it's not how God works, right? He gives us everything freely with nothing expected in return. Yet we think that we know how to worship God. We think we know how to serve God. We think because it is the culture around us. He was mirroring what everybody else was doing. This is how you worship God. No, God didn't ask for that. But yet he gave it anyway, and he he gave his daughter over to to worship God, to be solely committed to God. Do You see, Jephthah thought he knew the king that he served, but... He was doing what other gods were doing. When I look at this story, how I often return to the same failures, to the same. It's so easy to put ourselves back in bondage and then we feel as if there's no way out. Because you have allowed other kings, we have allowed other kings in our lives to come to rule. And when those kings don't deliver, when they put us into bondage, to do the opposite thing that, that we were hoping for, we could be overwhelmed by those decisions and feel hopeless. So who is your king? I want to look at three checkpoints to see who sits on the throne. Who sits on the throne of your life? If I hope you got a three by five card when you came in this morning. We're going to utilize this in just a moment. And as we look through these checkpoints, I want you to write what God brings to your heart. Who is that king in your life. And that's going to go on one side. So as we as we're walking through this, these three things as God brings that that thing to light, he's going to use the Holy Spirit to to speak to you. It's going to be clear. And so, we're going to look at these three things. The first thing is this, cancel your cultural view of the king. Cancel your cultural view of the king. We might think Jesus is on the throne, but our, our view might be a little blurry of who Jesus is, who we think Jesus is, because social media is feeding your theology. I guarantee social media is feeding your theology, even if you want to take the polar opposite, because when we see something we don't agree with, we automatically are way over here in the opposite camp. We, we, we want it where we're like, we jump right over here, and that might not even be. We, we base it on just a reaction. We base it on the, the culture telling us how to, how to treat people, how to act, what to believe. But when the culture is giving us the view of the king, it's gonna, we're going to lead to defeat every time. Because when we look back to the very first thing that, that Satan did, you know, the, Satan told Adam and Eve mostly the truth. 95% of what Satan told them in the garden was true. And there's things in culture, there's things, I'm not saying everything that the culture is saying is wrong. There are some truths to what is being said. But Pastor J.D. Gurb puts it this way. He says, we are shaped more by our culture when it comes to pleasing God than we are shaped by his word. We are shaped more by our culture when it comes to pleasing God than we are shaped by his word. Cancel your cultural view of the king. Let the word of God shape your view of him and let the word of God shape how you treat others. It has never been wrong before and it will never be wrong. The second thing is focus on the king. Focus on the king. You know, we can be so easily distracted by so many different things. So many different things we talked about money, career, your image, vacation, your family, education, yourself. You can be all these things distract us. We have to keep a focus. Keeping our king forward, making sure who is sitting on the throne. Focus on the king. The third thing is surrender the king and the victory that he already won. Surrender to the king and the victory he already won. You don't need to bargain with Jesus. If you do this, I will do this. No, God has done Everything And it's hard to fight that mentality in the world we live in. It's hard to fight that. Why can't we just accept that, that God has done everything? And we just need to live in the fact of what he has done for us. So often we live in, in the fact of what I can do. We live in the do instead of what he has done. Surrender to the king in the victory he has already won. That is the only way we can put Jesus King of our lives is surrender. It is committing your life to Jesus. And, and maybe it's time to take the next big step of faith. When Jesus is on King, you're like, "Whoa, He might call me to do something, to give up something. He might ask me to change something. He might change the direction of my life. I don't know if I can let him sit on this throne. I like sitting here. It's really nice. It's comfortable. It feels good. but every time it's going to lead to destruction. Put him on the throne and trust that the God of the universe that sent his own son right, to pay our penalty, right, the God that has taken care of eternity can surely take care of our day-to-day lives. Amen. The God of the universe that has done everything for us. And the more we understand, God, what he has done, the more we can just surrender. Because your king... Determines your victory or defeat. If we could consistently put Jesus on the throne, it would change our lives completely. All these, all these saviors that come, all these kings that we looked in the book of Judges, these are all broken saviors that offer temporary deliverance and that help. And neither one of them led to complete victory. Each of these judges have they came and they get worse. And they were all types of Christ. They were all pictures of what the ultimate Savior would come and do. You see, 2,000 years ago, right? 2,000 years ago, God had seen enough suffering and defeat. He had seen enough in this world that he sent the perfect Savior, the perfect Deliverer, the one who lived that life of victory, the one that that gave his life for you and me to die on a cross, to take our place. He rose again so that we can have eternity, so we can have a new life in him, so we can serve him, so our past can be forgiven, so our future can be secured, and it's victory through him. So who is your king? Who is your king? Why is that so important? Because your king determines your actions, your attitudes, and how you live because victory, your king determines your victory or defeat. Uh, I did a lot of stuff in the last couple months. It's been an exciting time. And, and some stuff that I do, I feel I do for sermon illustrations. Um, so so I, I live a crazy life sometimes because I want a good sermon illustration. And maybe this was one of them. But this was, I got to climb Mount Fuji. Uh, just a few months ago, and Mount Fuji is uh, an incredible mountain. It's it's about 12,000 feet or so, and it's quite the journey, because you start at station number five, which is halfway up the mountain. You could start at the bottom, but only crazy people do that, because it's like, what's the, the... The hard part starts at station five, and and as you, you do this journey, you prepare, and I took all my boys, and I, I went with a, a fellow good friend of mine, Chaplain Fox, and we journeyed up this mountain. And this is the staff that you buy at the bottom that is blank. So this is a a blank staff. You'll just have this one stamp. And as you go up the mountain, you get each of these stamps along the way to prove that you have made it up and then you want to get the stamp on top, uh, which is at at the top of the mountain. So you are grueling up this mountain. Mind it, you're starting it's six thousand feet, so the oxygen is a little bit thinner up there, and so that I mean you're fighting you're going up the mountains. you could show the, the next slide a couple of the pictures of us journeying up uh, that mountain and that's at one point there's uh there's Nathan and Seth and um, Zach and there's my my good friend uh, Chaplain fox who's uh and, and you just go I mean you're traveling up this mountain and you're you're stopping at each one of these little stations and they're, you're paying money. I mean, this costs a lot. It's this, it's like 500 yen per stamp. That's about four and a half dollars. And you're going up. I mean, it's the most expensive tr- hike I've ever been on. I mean, it just you just go up, just paying money out there. And and you have a time limit because you're trying to get back to the bus because at it, station five, the the last bus leaves at a certain time. And so if you don't get back to the bus, if the bus leaves you, you're stuck on the mountain. And they have huts and stuff that you could stay in, but it's usually up higher. So it's it's one of these things. You go to climb Mount Fuji, and what's the purpose of climbing Mount Fuji? Get to the top. Get to the top. And so this is the thing that you prove it, but along the way, it's so, you get so easily distracted. And at these places, we sat down and, and got to relax, and you almost don't want to keep going, and then you stop and look at the beautiful views, and, and you just think, oh man, this is so amazing. And pretty soon... You lose focus. You lose the whole reason you're there and then you realize I'm not going to get to the top. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to enjoy the scenery. I'm not here to, to enjoy the, everything this mountain has to offer. I have to get to the top and get back down before it is time to leave. That is the mission. That is the focus and to enjoy as much as we can. But if we slow down, we're not going to make it back to the bus and be stuck on this mountain for another night. Do you see so often... We have our mission. We have the the life that we have been given to serve the king. And yet we get so easily distracted. We get so easily pulled away. We so easily put different priorities, different kings on the throne. That slow us down. And the whole time we are losing what we have been sent here to do. And we get so easily distracted. And, and this staff, as is, is I was thinking about this, the staff is, it, it, it led us up the mountain as we, I relied on this thing. But this kept reminding me why I was there, to get the next stamp, to keep on going. And the Word of God does that in our lives. When we rely on it and we remind it why we're here, that it's, this is not our home, this is temporary, and we are supposed to be on mission to serve the king, that he rules and reigns in her life. Not these other kings, not these other things that, that offer temporary things, these things that lead to destruction, but it is on mission, on focus, because we got to get up the mountain, because that's what we've been saved to do. So this morning I ask you again, who is your king? Because your king determines your victory or defeat. Let's pray this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.